What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, and welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. You might know us as the co-founders of Of A Kind, the co-authors of Work Wife, or just two women who feel so strongly about their relationship that they own the domain clarenerica.com, which, by the way, you can now find our episode notes there. Yes! Handy, right? Very handy. Claire made that happen this week. It was very sophisticated. I worked really hard on it. I, I'm just going <laughs> to repeat a joke somebody else said. I saw on the internet a meme. It was like, oh, I'm a woman in STEM now. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'm a woman in STEM now. Perfect. Perfect. Um, you can also leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463. We're playing some of them at the end of episodes. Um, could be yours. Could be yours. I figured out how to download the app on my phone so I can listen to these voicemails at any time, which is thrilling. Yeah, we've listened to them in public uh, oh, yeah. before. Yeah, I'm sure, again, people must really love us walking down the street. Today, we are talking about two unrelated things. Classic. Classic us. They're related in the sense that we both feel... We feel both. We feel good about both topics and strongly. Um, yeah, the first is how to shop the real real, which I'm guessing you have to. I've received so much uh, feedback on in Instagram. Well, ma'am, I think you are the expert around these parts, um, or have made it more of a. Um, uh, it's part of my part time job. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's, it's my part time job. It's my brand. I am not shopping in January, so I've had to stay <laughs> off of it. Oh, oh but, okay, 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 okay. Interesting. I thought you were going to be like, I'm not shopping in January. I'm just browsing on the real, real every day. <laughs> I still day. do sometimes, and yeah. honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Like the thing that will tempt me to break it the most is if there's a good, if there's something good from the real, real, right? Because there's that sense of urgency because the things go so quickly. A hundred percent. So, I, yeah, I. I got really into shopping the real, real. I've sold there for a really long time, and I've bought there for a while, too. But for some reason recently, it became much more of a habit to scroll through it. And it's what I find so addictive about it is that it's very similar to scrolling any other app like Instagram or Twitter, where there's always new stuff to see, and you don't want to miss it. It might go away, and it's basically endless. It's um, like an Instagram story. Yeah, it's like an Instagram story. I just and it's just it's fun and easy and mindless to scroll. Are you doing this on your phone or on your computer? Phone. Huh. I have the real real app on my phone. Huh. No, oh, you see, don't. No. Oh well, that's why. Well, last time I sent you something, I was sitting in the parking lot of a restaurant in Minneapolis while Chris went and bought a gift certificate for his stepdad, and I was just like, I guess I'll just browse the real real. And I saw this jacket that I thought you'd like. 
Okay. See, I didn't know that's how you were consuming this content at all. I <laughs> oh, had no yeah. sense. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, it's legit my new Instagram. Okay. So, yeah. I'm interested in knowing from your phone, uh, maybe this can be updated next time, how much time I like, spend was, was on the real, real. real. <laughs> like compared to other apps. December, you know? especially over the holidays was, and it was, I mean, this may surprise you to learn you weren't the only person getting all sorts of text messages of me sending a bright yellow Celine bag to my mom being like, I think maybe, maybe you need this. this. And she was like, I am really into it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so okay, there are a lot so, of things to dig into here. Yeah. So, so the real, so the real, real for people who do not know mm-hmm. is like a luxury consignment site. Yes. Um, and, and it's different. It's very good. It's very good. And it's different from, say, eBay or Tradesy or something like that in that it's heavily managed by their buying team. So everything is vetted. Authenticated. By, it's authenticated. It's hand-selected. It's all from, a, like, a list of pre-approved brands that they buy from. And they're picky. They, yeah, you know, they, they reject a lot of things. They do. Um, which is which is how, as a, like, shopper, you can trust that what you're getting is good. And you're not, it's not going to show up and be like, wait, it looked so different online. Or, like, it, it look, looks so worn now that yeah. I've received it. Exactly. And so I sell a lot of my clothes to them. And it's always a bummer when you get that box back that they of stuff they've rejected. But it is also, to your point, a sign that they're being very vigilant about what they accept. Yeah. Um, and I get a lot of people saying that they have a really hard time knowing what to buy on there and figuring out what to buy. And I would say the key to the real, real, tell me, I'm guessing this is your strategy yeah. too, is just focusing on brands that you know that you love. Oh, 100%. This is not a place to discover new brands. And no. this is not a place to search for blue sweaters. No, 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 no. I only look by brand. Yeah. I... So what I do, and I think you do this as well, is that I've saved probably like eight or so brands mm-hmm. to like my, the real, real. Mm-hmm. My um, TRR. My, my TRR. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and have selected my sizes in those yep. brands. And basically, you just save a search yes. in it um, in the same way that you would on eBay or something. Um, and then there's a tab that you can look at all of those things and see the regular updates for them. So my question, do you save them all as separate searches or as one big search? Separate searches. Okay. See, this is why I think it's so addictive for me. I save it as one big search. So it is truly, again, like Instagram where I'm just looking at all my friends and anything, any new content for my friends. So I've got all of my favorite brands in this feed. And like you said, narrowed down to my sizes. I also, with certain brands, bigger brands, especially you have to be, um, cognizant of only selecting the categories you want to see. So, for example, I don't want to see Celine handbags. I'm not going to buy any. So I have to make sure that I'm selecting just maybe apparel and Uh sunglasses uh or whatever uh I want to see from that brand. Um, And then I scroll through to see what's new that day, that week, whatever. And then the strategy that I use that is the sort of online equivalent of dragging a bunch of stuff to your dressing room is I just heart the things that I like. And then that shows up in the My Obsessions tab. And then I scroll through the My Obsessions tab and look and I'm like, is there anything that I liked last week that's still around? A lot of times I know I will heart something and know that there's no way I'm buying it, but I just want to like look at it and know that it's still around. Think if there's anybody that I want to send it to to tell them to buy it. I, this, this component of it is intriguing to me still. Having been on the receiving end of, of one, you know, you sending links to things and also you having made a purchase that was like, you're like, it's not right for me, but I think it's right for you. And I did. I bought it from you and Venmo'd you. So there's like a secondary market off the back of this. Second, yeah. is it, there's a tertiary market yeah. um, for these products. If Yeah. yeah. It, it's no, like Claire's Closet. Oh, I literally, there was a point, I mean, again, Again, obviously, if it wasn't clear before, we don't have jobs. Um, but 
there was a moment where I got so into this and was enjoying the thrill of discovery so much that I truly was like, the thrill. I yeah. was like, I should just start posting all of these on my Instagram and then like putting swipe ups and you somebody wanted- could buy them. You want to be a real, real curator. Basically. And uh-huh. well, and then I was like, obviously, this is speaking to the part of me that used to buy stuff for of a kind and then put it up for sale. Of course. And that was really but, but like <laughs> such a specific scale. But yeah, no, I understand. And then I was basically like, that seems like a lot of work. And I don't know if and this I is could, a service yeah. that I need to be providing. Exactly. But I will say there was one pair of Celine boots that were so beautiful. I didn't need another pair of black boots. And it killed me that I couldn't. That like, someone was going to get them, them in that some it, way. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That I, someone was going to get him that, then that you probably didn't even know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing that, okay, so a couple things. They have a pretty good return policy. So They have a great return policy. So I think it, you can feel pretty decent about buying stuff and taking taking the risk on it. I will say they charge shipping. So that's, yes. you know, something I you bought a pair with. after we did our episode where we talked about uh, the the tyranny of tights mm-hmm. and, you know, tall boots being an option. I bought a pair of Stuart Weitzman suede tall boots mm-hmm. from The Real Real that are, were beautiful. And I got them and they were like in their box and they were so much cheaper than they were everywhere else. It was remarkable. And they hit this really weird part of my knee, like the middle of your knee mm. where you're like, oh, that's, that's not a place yeah. I want to be cut off. Mm-hmm. Like half half of a knee looks really weird on its own, turns out. Yep. Um, and so those had to go back, but it was just so easy and so quick. And they refund you quickly. You know what? Yes, like some, they do. Yes. Some retailers, you're waiting for like 12 business days for a refund. I mean, like, I, do I have to follow up on that thing? That is not the case. The Real Real is a very well-oiled machine. Yes. Um, they're quick. They're responsive. The one thing I've never— You know what's going to shock people? This what? is not an ad. <laughs> it's not an ad. I did email our ad network and say, can you pitch them? Because we're about to do this love letter to them <laughs> on the podcast. But they have yet to actually pay us any money. We have. Well, that's not true. We've, we've both been consignors with them. So I haven't. Oh, you have? It? No, I, my oh. clothes aren't fancy enough. Yeah, they are. Uh, I don't think so. I think they are. No, I don't think so. But but I have. You know where I've consigned that I that I feel like is a little like less picky and more um, me friendly is luxury garage sale. Oh right, I want to try this. Um, which is worth checking out too. It sort of would be like a sister companion website to the Real Real. A the, little more under the radar. Right. The one thing I've never bought on the real real is handbags because they're all final sale. So that seems way too scary to me. And that's because people will like buy them and then use them for a couple weeks and try to return them probably. I'm sure. I, like it's just easier yeah. to hide where. Probably. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, the other thing you and I have both noted is it seems like this is how deep in it we are. It seems like certain brands um, will basically liquidate um, off-season inventory to Definitely. the real, real So like you'll see stuff that's repeated a bunch that you can assume is basically brand new and just didn't sell during the brand's end of season sale. So then they just sold it to the real real. Yes. Which is kind of nice. Yes. And so maybe if you do a little poking around, you can kind of quickly figure out what some of those brands are. And I know that I've gotten some Jenny Kane things on the real real that I'm pretty sure, you know, came that way, um, yeah. which is nice where you're like, oh, that that's like a much nicer T-shirt than I would normally be able to buy for $20. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think in general, the sort of practice of knowing the brands that look good on you and that you really love and getting to know how a brand operates is a good practice in general as an adult woman uh, yeah. for shopping. And yeah. I find it just simplifies the shopping process in I general. think I have the same general strategy with um, shop style, mm-hmm. um, which is which you can sign up for sale alerts from brands. And I, I you know, will— 
search Ula, I'll like save Ola Johnson mm-hmm. dresses or whatever yeah. it is and know that those generally I know my size. I know what looks good on yep. me. I know what cuts work, whatever. Yes. And you're not just like poking around in the in the like deep, dark abscesses of the internet looking at these things. Exactly. And they have stores in uh, some major cities, too, the real, we real. We haven't talked about this. Yes. Yeah. The stores are so nice. They um, are really nice. And I don't like shopping in real life in most yeah. cases at this point. But they're so pleasant. The salespeople are so nice. And they're there is spacious. something. Yes. And there is something really satisfying about going and knowing, like, there's just one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's, you know, you if you want this thing, you kind of have to get it yeah. now. Or, like, you would stumble upon something. It won't just be the fall collection from this brand. Right. The other thing that some people really love that I need to dig into on The Real Real is they have fancy kids' clothes, oh. um, which I'm sure will really speak to me and, and to Obviously. Cam. Um, Obviously. But I have not, I've not delved into it yet, but I do love fancy kids' clothes, so I'll be checking that out. Thank you so much to Biosans for sponsoring today's episode. Um, we've both really been into this product. We have. We've this been was, very into it. This was like a real moment of discovery via advertiser, and I'm so into it. Well, you know what was interesting? I got the product in the mail long before that they were committed to being an advertiser. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, ooh, what's this? I, I started using it. But what I immediately did was go and like look it up yeah. elsewhere. And the reviews of this product and the write-ups are so good. There's a strategist or the cut review of this product that was like, ooh, yeah, I'm into this. Very into this. It basically talked about how... It's gentle enough to be using every day, but yes. very exfoliating um, and moisturizing. So all, that all the things, all the things you want. So that's the thing. So lactic acid is an AHA and alpha hydroxy acid that Thank basically. You. Yes, you. <laughs> you're welcome. I know these things now. Scientist Claire Mazur R- read all about it. It's a ba- it, it like it's a chemical that exfoliates your skin. So it's different than obviously something like a physical exfoliant, right, like a scrub. It has 10% lactic acid, which is the most that you can have without it being so abrasive that you can't use it every day. Mm-hmm. So it's like the most that can be both effective and gentle enough to use every day. And then it has... Gentle but firm. That's exactly right. <laughs> it has clover in it, which boosts the exfoliating effects of the lactic acid. And then it also has squalene in it, which locks in moisture and protects against the drying effects of AHAs. And I really think if you use it consistently, you really do wake up and you notice sort of the smoothness and and sort of fresher look of your skin. The write-up that I read said that it buffs away fine lines. And I think buffing away fine lines is exactly what I want most of my products to be doing. Absolutely. Don't you think? Absolutely. Like it's just the right amount of aggression. Buff. Buff. (laughs) Gentle, but firm. Exactly. So this is part of your nighttime routine. So it's you first put on eye treatments if you do that, then you put on this, and then your moisturizers and your oils go over it. You can swap the order of your moisturizers and your oils if you want, but you put on this serum first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you want to try out Biosan Squalene and Lactic Acid Resurfacing Night Serum for yourself, you're going to go to biosans.com and use code ATHINGER220 for 20% off any full-size purchase. That's biosans.com, B-I-O-S-S-A-N-C-E.com and use code ATHINGER220 for 20% off any full-size purchase. Um, should we talk about the other thing we're going to talk about on this episode? I mean, do you think we've said everything there is to say about the real real? I, I kind of maybe do. <laughs> All at right. At least for this episode. Okay. But, so, you know, I'm sure yeah. you'll be back with some more tips um, come February once, once you're out of your shopping ban. I know. Yeah. All right. 
Um, so the other thing we want to talk about in this episode is Japan and our favorite recommendations in Tokyo and Kyoto as two white women who have each gone once. <laughs> That's right. And I wouldn't experts, even say— Experts. Experts. I don't even know if I can say that these are my favorites so much as I tried to pick ones that I didn't think were on every single list. Yes. So basically— we want to start doing some city guides and neighborhood guides on this podcast, and we have been very overwhelmed by that concept and finally decided, like, oh, what we need to do is just pick a half dozen of our, like, real genuine picks that maybe are under the radar or maybe we mm -hmm. just feel really strongly about or have something to say about. Um, and, yeah, that like, yeah. I think part of the problem, especially with Japan, when you and I were both planning, is— there are just so many lists and so many recommendations, yes. and it is overwhelming. And I feel like as soon as I said I was going to Japan, I got started getting 14-page PDFs. Oh, yeah. That were like, here, oh, and yeah. it, 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 there'd be like a page of ramen restaurants. And I was like, sir, <laughs> what am I doing with a page of ramen restaurants? It's really hard. And I think, okay, so here's what I, here's what a theory I'm going to posit about Japan Please. and why that happens with Japan specifically. It is so different from the Western world. It yeah. is when part of what's so exciting about traveling there is that everything, even the 7-Eleven feels so different and exciting and new and um, just fun. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's hard to curate a list based on somebody's personal preferences and somebody's style and what you understand their lifestyle to be because that lifestyle probably doesn't exist in the same way in Japan, and that's not why you're there. You're yeah. there to experience this thing that feels very yeah. different from home. And so it was harder for me to navigate it the way I would say navigate Barcelona, where we both also went in the last couple of years, to say, like, I get where the design—I get the, where the designy shops are and the types of food that I like. That stuff doesn't exist. It, it may exist in Japan, but that's not why I'm there. I'm there to experience something totally well, new. Well, I think the other thing about Japan that it makes it challenging is just the extreme specialization. Yes. Um, and so if you recommend a ramen restaurant, it is just ramen—it is like—it is not just a ramen restaurant. Mm -hmm. It is a ramen restaurant. That's all. It is like you're not getting tempura or sushi mm -hmm. at this ramen mm -hmm. restaurant. That would be crazy. Right. Um, so I think because of that like extreme specialization— um, and just hurtfulness to everything. Mm -hmm. There is just like more recommendations and bombardment. People being like, no, this is the spot. This is the spot. The thing that was that I had to just cut off completely was all the people saying, I know that you're in Japan, but I swear to God, this is the best Italian restaurant that I've ever eaten at. And it's in Tokyo. And I just I refuse to, like, to do that. I'm too. not yeah. doing it. I'm not going to have pizza. And I do. Everybody says one of the best pizza restaurants in the world is in Tokyo. And but one I, of the best French bakeries yes. in the world is in Tokyo and all of it. But again, yeah, I just wanted the Japanese stuff. Um, if I go there a fourth or fifth time, you know, Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so someone had messaged me on Instagram asking for tips for her honeymoon. And my biggest tip was basically don't feel like overwhelmed by the guides and the mm -hmm. advice because there is just so much of it. And I think on the third or fourth day of our trip, I was just feeling a little bit underwater and like Tokyo's big. So you mm -hmm. it's you're you end up spending a lot of time on the subway if you're trying to do all these different yep. things and you're not seeing the things you actually want to be seeing, which is just like walking around the city and finding yep. little streets. And so I had to, at a certain point, cut it off and remind myself that, you know, even like coming from New York, right? I've never been to Dominic Ansel for a cronut. Right. So, and I'm very satisfied with my life here. <laughs> um, and so I don't need to go chasing this thing in Tokyo just because people say that it's like awesome. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, to that point, I guess one of my, well, one of my Tokyo tips was the subways are wonderful and you have to take them some places. But I found walking to be so satisfying oh, yeah. even when we were walking through neighborhoods that had little to offer in the way of consumption. Just 
the architecture, the sidewalks, everything is just so yeah, fascinating yeah, 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 yeah. there. I love a like two-hour vacation walk. Yes. Yeah. Same. Um, so then, okay, I will say my one other recommendation that I didn't do when I was there, but now make use of is make yourself a personal Google map with all the recommendations you get pinned on the map. And that way you can just say, okay, I'm doing this neighborhood today. Instead I, did, of I saying, did that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Instead of saying, I'm going to go to this place and that place. And you just sort of know what's in the various neighborhoods that you I think in. my issue or my problem was that I just did a bad job of making dinner reservations mm-hmm. um, because yeah. everybody told me you have to make reservations in advance and the process of making reservations it's is challenging. challenging. And it's uh, most of it involves, you know, either hotel concierge or uh, something like that. And I think so I was feeling very like, anxious about reserve like god <laughs> so boring um about dinner reservations yeah. that I would just like lock things down then I'm like oh damn it like it's so far away that's so far away yeah. or those two dinner reservate those two restaurants are really close to each other and now I'm sort of in the same neighborhood right. two nights or mm-hmm. I don't know yep um yeah but like swear by pinning things on a google yes. maps um yes yeah very important okay so should okay. we talk about our our six favorite um, six places in Tokyo that we feel strongly about recommending. Yes. Okay. What do you got? Okay. I was telling Thomas what was on my list last night, and he was— Did he I, agree with it? Well, I would say he was shaming me a little bit oh. because one of the things—I I made a swap um, mm-hmm. okay. for him um, or per his recommendation, which was to suggest going to a baseball game. Mm. It was a really wonderful experience going to a baseball game. My that was like one of the few things my brother told me to do. My brother works in baseball and he was like, oh, yeah, you got to go to a baseball game in mm-hmm. Japan. Um, so we went and saw the Yomiuri Giants. Um, they are a, they, a Tokyo-based baseball team. It was wonderful. The, the like fans at a Japanese baseball game are so enthusiastic. There are so many cheers and chants that everybody in the stadium mm-hmm. knows that are just like, wrote mm-hmm. um like it's not just like take me out to the ball game seventh inning stretch it's like someone starts a chant and then like the entire stadium erupts with it mm-hmm. um and there are like arm moves and like gestures that go with it i also was obsessed with the beer girls who were all wearing these like i don't know what to like i don't know what to call like how to exp- describe the outfits but i will tell you about the hats they were wearing baseball hats the hat was not on their head the hat was folded like it would be like on a display mm. at a sporting goods store. Oh. And then hair clipped to the front of their cool. hair. I like um, that. So from the back, it was just like a ponytail. Right, right, And right. the ponytail was high enough that it wouldn't fit through yeah. the cat. Um, but yeah, it was being clipped onto the front of their heads in a way that was fascinating. Um, and then the other thing was the food. Um, there were themed bento boxes for players. Oh. Um, and so there would be like, you know, the shortstop would have his themed bento box, which would have like shumai in it and would have a seaweed salad. And then it would have like a dumpling with maybe a little embossed baseball on the top and his number 34. Wow. Uh-huh. That's pretty sick. It was major. I I would loved it. We did not go to a baseball game, but we did go to a sumo wrestling match. Um, and I don't recall there being beer girls, but I do recall very good bento boxes. And we I was slightly hungover from having spent the evening before in Golden Guy. And the sports stadium fast food culture in Japan is excellent. It's just greasy, more fried versions of a lot of the Japanese delicacies that you are familiar with. And it was very delicious. Um, another thing that we did that same day that we went to the baseball game is we ended up walking around the Yanaka neighborhood, which isn't like close to the stadium so Mm. much as it's like 
if you make it an hour and a half walk, it's like in the general vicinity of the stadium. And it was one of these neighborhoods that no one had really recommended or it hadn't come up on lists. And it just felt like the types of things I wanted to be seeing and running into and like, like popping into. Um a lot of like little food stalls mm-hmm. um and like snacky like lunch things. Mm-hmm. Um some like cute random like shops and coffee shops, but nothing that I had like read about on any of my very you know, any mm-hmm. of these like 40 page uh, PDFs. Um, <laughs> it was just like nice to feel like, oh, this is like I'm wandering around and I'm not following a guide. Right, right, right. That's nice. Yeah. We wanted to tell you guys about a podcast that we're super into these days called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. We love it. Um, it is by a woman named Zibby Owens, and we were guests about our book, Work Wife, which yeah. you may have heard us talk about a time or two. Um, <laughs> she does a really excellent job. She brings on a lot of authors covering all sorts of different topics. And the thing is, she posts new episodes three to five times a week. Which she is, reads so many books. It's so impressive. It's not it blows my mind. It's not like a podcast for moms. It's a podcast for people who like books. She does yes. really insightful, wonderful author interviews. Um, and it is like, in, this sort of premise is that it's designed to help busy people get their literary fix. So people who don't have time to read. But I will say, I think also if you do have time to read, you will find a lot to appreciate. It's excellent for sourcing. She also hosts literary salon sort of events and she does book fairs and lots of author live interviews. Um, If you go to her website, zibbyowens.com, you can sign up to get updates on all of these things. It is quite impressive what she's doing over there. It's really impressive. And I feel like she is just such a big supporter of books and authors and the book world and the book industry. Yeah, it's really awesome what she's doing. Who doesn't like that? Truly. All right. My first one is something that I think probably is on some lists, just knowing that there are sometimes really long lines there, but it is so good. It's called Gyoza Ro. These are the best dumplings in Tokyo. They, I went there on you your did. recommendation. So it was good, excellent. right? Yeah. Was there a long line when you went? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. What, I, there wasn't when we went, but my I sent my mom and she also had to stand in line for a while. It's a really small menu. They have all of these little vegetable dishes like miso cucumbers and pickled cabbage. Just order all of them and then just order. Like you can sort of sit at the counter and order more if you're still hungry. Um, try to go at off hours. It's in a, it's, I believe it's in Aoyama, which is a popular shopping neighborhood. It's delightful. The dumplings are like on a skewer and they're all grilled on one side. Is that right? That sounds familiar. Yeah. I just, it's a meal I think about a lot. It was really delicious. And it's, it's not expensive. It's like, it's, you know, you're sitting at a counter watching the dumplings being made. Um, uh, the meal that I think about a lot, which was expensive, um, is a tempura restaurant called Mikawa Zenzankyo. Um, and it was a sort of outrageous tempura tasting menu where you sit, it's like omakase tempura. So you're sitting at a bar and each piece of tempura is being served to you one by one, like straight out of the fryer. Did you have to wait for it to cool down so it wouldn't burn your tongue? Of course you did. Okay. Um, but then there, but you were guided fairly aggressively Mm -hmm. through this meal. So there'd be a a lot of vegetable tempura and then shrimp tempura. And most of the time you got two pieces of things or things were cut into two bites. Mm -hmm. And you were given this salt and this like green sauce. I'm not sure what the green sauce was made of, but you were given firm instructions by your like handler, I would say, (laughs) because waiter makes it seem like... He was your butler. Mm, Waiter and butler both make it seem like 
he's in service to you. Yes. And really, you were like meant to be doing what he was telling you. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he was like, he would he's come your over. Manager. He was our manager. <laughs> and he would come over and he would be like, one salt, one sauce. And like, you were supposed to eat one of these with salt, one of these with sauce. So that you could taste the difference. Yeah. And it's like, I liked the sauce and I wanted more of them with sauce and eventually just started, you know, flying in the face of this, uh, of this authority. But it was it, every time. And like when you did it wrong, he would kind of, he would be more firm about it the next time of being like one salt, one sauce. And you're like, <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I would like to eat both with sauce. Um, so this chef is a, is a big deal star chef. And at the end of the meal, he also illustrates a little like prawn. For you to take home on this little piece of paper. It's really cute, really charming. It's a small little restaurant. You definitely have to make reservations. The big win is that they are on open table, which is a true rarity in Tokyo. And so you was don't just need like your concierge. No, it was just wonderful and life-saving and easy to be like, oh wow, okay. I just booked this myself. Is tempura in rice batter, or did you make an exception, an exception for the I made an exception. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in general in Japan, I found it hard to, I think. It's hard to be gluten free. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is funny because they love rice so much. Over I mean, there, there, but, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you can go to yeah. a sushi restaurant and be gluten free except for the soy sauce right. or like whatever. And figure ramen, this thing out. Yeah, but yeah, it's hard and a lot. Mm-hmm. There's not like much gluten free lifestyling right. happening. All right. So my other two Tokyo recommendations for this list are both in the same category, which was a really big category for me, which is ceramics, Um, which is, you know, I went there with the intent on acquiring a lot of ceramics. And my husband went with the intent of limiting the amount of ceramics I brought home. Um, So they're sort of on opposite ends of the spectrum. The nicest sort of most special ceramics that we brought back were from this place, Hakkasan Porcelain. Um, They just make really beautiful porcelain ceramics. So it's not the types of ceramics that are really trendy in Brooklyn right now, per se, which are not typically ceramic. Um, They're much more delicate. They're typically on a white background. And the thing that we decided to go for was to start this little collection of bowls. They have so many of these, I guess they're based, they're sort of like rice bowls um, that all have all different colorful and some not colorful patterns. And so they sort of encourage you to mix and match them. And so we picked out six different uh, designs and it was really fun to sit there and, you know, each decide which one was really important to us and put this collection together. And they're just so pretty and special. And I would love to expand the collection one day. I This Hakkasan porcelain is really hard to find in the U.S. Yeah. And and it's not something that really surfaces in online searches very well. Um, But some friends of ours, Jamie and Kevin, had given us a check for for our wedding gift and said, buy something in Japan that will remind you of us. And so that was this like special thing that that we use that check on. And I just felt I just they make beautiful stuff. You guys went there, too, right? Yeah. And I got these really adorable little mugs. Have you seen them? They have have the wooden base. Yeah, they have these little wooden. So they have these. They're they're pretty small. They're more like a teacup size than a coffee cup size and the handle almost looks like a pea Mm. um and they have these little wooden bases and it has a little cutoff for the hand like a little divot for the handle too which is really really cute it's very it's it's they're really spectacular pieces i i definitely recommend a visit there so then on the opposite end of the spectrum is kapabashi shopping district which is basically the restaurant supply district but they have so much beautiful stuff there and a lot of the sort of traditional classic ceramic uh japanese style ceramic dishes that you might see in a japanese restaurant but you don't typically see on say like 
Target, um, they will have there for relatively inexpensive, and they will ship them back to you if your husband will not allow you to carry any more ceramics in your suitcase. This is also where you can find Kamada, which is a world-famous knife shop. So Japan's also known for having really nice knives. And so if that's something you're into, you can get fancy knives. You can also get the knives like engraved and stuff like that. You got so that for me. I was yeah. wondering if we did that. Yeah. We got, got your yeah. name on them? Yeah. Your name? So that was nice. Yeah, it was us. lovely. Yeah. Um, um you know what else was in that in that hood um, that I was obsessed with was a, this brush shop. I can't remember the name Ooh. of it, but it was hair brushes. Mm. All. All brushes, Ooh. Uh, toothbrushes, hair brushes, cleaning brushes, leather brushes. Wow. You want a brush? They got a brush. So this like a pipe brush. Amazing. Yeah. See, this we is spent- a perfect example to me of like I would never go to the restaurant supply district in New York City, but because Japan is just so different. Yeah. I was like, this is where I want to go and see how they do this thing. That's Thomas really and I spent a pretty good amount of time and bought various things from the brush shop. Um, I'm really <laughs> I'm surprised. Really, really enjoyed that visit. Yeah. 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 All right, should we move on to Kyoto? <sighs> Kyoto, yes. Yeah. So um, you loved Kyoto. I loved Kyoto more I, than Tokyo. I did. Yeah. And I think I think I was just like, duh, Tokyo was gonna be overwhelming. That's mm-hmm. a surprise to no one. But I think I don't know. I think I was more overwhelmed by it than I was planning on being. Yeah, I think I realized that when I travel, I I like going to like a smaller city, not like Kyoto small, but small, like not a major global hub in the same way that Tokyo is or even, you know, like London is or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think especially after Tokyo, it was a nice come down to go to Kyoto for sure. Um, I liked Kyoto. I didn't like it nearly as much and we didn't stay there for as long. So I feel like I didn't give it its proper due. It's due. Yeah. yeah. I think I wasn't ready for the sudden come down from Tokyo <laughs> that, that happened. Yeah. I did really enjoy it. I um what'd you like? Perhaps the most memorable thing about it was the anime museum, which is one of these things where I think one of Chris's friends recommended it and he was like, We have to go there. And my reaction was, Why are we gonna go to the anime museum? I wanna see the shops and the shrines and the food, and this is weird and I don't want to do it, but it, because it was weird and and unique. It was exactly what Chris wanted to do. And I really loved it. Um, It speaks to sort of what you were talking about, about Japanese culture being really into specialization. And it was this huge museum that got really into the nitty gritty of anime culture and the artwork and the fashion and the style of storytelling. And it really gave me an appreciation for it. They also have a huge anime library in the anime museum. So I wound up just standing there reading so much anime. I'd sort of forgotten how as a kid I loved cartoon storytelling, like I Archie and things like that I was really obsessed with. Um, so because of that, I got really into this popular anime series called Nana or Nana, bought a bunch of the Nana books. Then ordered the DVD movie version of Nana when I got home only to find out that the DVD didn't work on my American DVD yep, player, which yep, was yep. a huge disappointment. But it was a really interesting sort of unexpected uh, way of looking at Japanese culture. Um, you know, I think one of the things that made me like Kyoto so much is where we stayed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we stayed at this really cool hotel called, okay, this is so long, you guys. Kiyomachiya Hotel Shikijiraku, um, which was 10 former merchants' townhouses that were converted into a hotel in a residential part of town. Um, and they were all, they're all these like little two-story structures. Um, and there was a, there was like a lobby where you'd have breakfast every morning. The design was so good. The vi- It was like the perfect amount of traditional and modern. Um, I don't know. I just liked it so much. And I liked being there. And it was one of those spots where you felt like, okay, we're dropped down here and we can kind of... Um, 
we can explore around this neighborhood and just stumble upon things mm-hmm. um, and feel a tiny bit removed, which yeah. which is That's my nice. yeah, which is my favorite sort of vacation vibe. I also loved um we happened to be there during this incredible flea market. Mm. So at one of the shrines called Kitano Tenmangu, um, there is a monthly flea market on the 25th of the month. And I am telling you, I don't know if it's worth planning your whole trip around being there on the 25th of the month, but this flea market was so, so, so good and Did so you fun. Did know or was it just coincidence? It was total coincidence. Amazing. We were like looking in a guidebook and it was like, oh, on the 25th of the month, there's a flea market here. We were like, oh, we should go that day. Yeah. Um, it was awesome. There were like so many little ceramics, right? And like little like sake, like little sake uh, cups that we got for like a dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many records and so many, you know, like all of that stuff. Um, and then, you know, booths that were just like entirely bins of watches. Wow. Um, and not like fancy watches, mm-hmm. bins or bins of camera parts or bins of, again, with the specialization, right? And then there was excellent food. There were... um there were like snacky things for sure, but then there were also like, you know, beautifully packaged plum jam um, that we bought. And there were also um, artists and makers selling like new things like a ceramicist or this or that. It just felt, it was like, it scratched so fun. many itches for me and we were there so long and it was such a hot day and I like wouldn't leave. It was like <laughs> 90 degrees oh. and 90% humidity and yeah. disgusting. And I was like, no, I just want to be here. <laughs> just want to be here. The other unforgettable thing for me in Kyoto was this restaurant, Owaria. It is 550 years old. It started in 1465. It's How crazy. Wild is it's that? crazy. Did it's you crazy. go? Yeah. Wasn't it yes. so good? We went for lunch one day. It was awesome. The best soba I've ever had. It kicked off a huge soba obsession for me. I feel like it's sort of the gold standard in soba there. And it, um, especially on a hot day, the cold soba there, so good. And it, yeah, I just, if you like soba, it's the place to go. I I came home just craving soba all the time and got really cozy with a New York Cocoron. Oh, um, Cocoron. Such good soba here <sighs> in New York. Um, the the restaurant that uh, sticks out for me um, is called Shorayan Tofu Restaurant. It is, in a word, magical. Um, it is in the bamboo forest, which is something that you will do when you go to Kyoto. Um, you'll explore the bamboo forest. And this gives you a nice destination. So it's not really a hike to it so much as it's kind of like a meandering walk. And you, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of wayfinding, yep. um, I would say, which makes it feel like a little hidden gem. I made a reservation to go for lunch. Um, it's set overlooking the river. Um, you know, you're at you're sitting at tatami mats. And it was like, I, you got to choose how many courses. Um, I think it was like five to eight courses, depending on what you chose. And everything was just like so beautiful and so perfect. And it's a tofu restaurant, but it's not vegetarian. Mm. So there's like a Wagyu beef course you can okay. opt for. Um, yeah, it was just that dreamy. Lovely. Yeah. Um, my I'm cheating. And my third recommendation is not actually Kyoto. It's leaving Kyoto and going to Naoshima. And so Naoshima is basically an art island, and it's kind of a pain in the butt to go to, but it's closer to Kyoto than it is to Tokyo. So the way we did it was we went Tokyo, Kyoto, Naoshima to sort of break up the trip. Um, And basically, it's this old fishing village that has since sort of been taken, it, it, it was no longer really functioning as a fishing village. And so it's been taken over by this art foundation. And there are just site-specific installations all over the island. So I've never come up with a great way of describing it, but there's something sort of like an adult amusement park to it and that you walk around and just come upon these things that are these really sort of delightful, magical 
surprising, fun art pieces. And there, the art foundation has a hotel on the island that you can stay in that gives you act that's part of the museum. So you can basically go to the museum at all hours if you're staying in the that's hotel. That's crazy and cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also an incredible restaurant run also, you know, as part of the hotel. A, a lot of people I think now are familiar with James Terrell's installations. A lot of major museums have them. They tend to be really sort of experiential and immersive. Like focused. Yes. Yeah. And the most incredible James Terrell sort of experience I've ever had was on this island. They have um, one of the sort of features is these little ho- a series of I think like five or six houses, and each one was taken over by a different artist. And uh, you walk through them, or in the case of the James Terrell one, you're sort of led into it. But it's really after the craziness of of Tokyo is to me the perfect way of like you're still really stimulated, but in a totally different way. It's very sort of calm and quiet and because there aren't that many places to stay there, it's not crowded at all. Mm. You don't see a lot of other people. My memories of it feel like just like traversing this island on foot, just me and Chris, and then occasionally being like, oh, I didn't even know that this sculpture or whatever it is was going to be here. Um, It's probably changed since a little bit since then, just because I think it's very Instagrammy, and so it's gotten a lot more popular. The the thing that uh, you have probably seen on Instagram are the big Yayoi Kusama pumpkins set sort of like on the water, um, very common image. Um, Yes, highly recommend. It's definitely a track. You take the train and then, but you have to take a couple trains, I think, and then you take a ferry. Okay. There might be a bus in there. Okay, okay, yeah. (laughs) It's commit. It was one of those things where I really, there were two or three people who were like, you have to go, you have to go, you have to go. And then as I was planning, I was like, this just seems so crazy. I'm not going to do it. And I think it was Lizzie and Catherine Fortunato who were like, listen, like, that's fine, but it is the one thing we still talk about all the time from that trip. And I was like, okay, I guess we'll do it. And then it was really worth it. It was incredible. Um, you also recommended to a friend after who ended up going and then he got married there later. Oh my um, God, that's right. I forgot. very strongly about it. So, I mean, that's, yeah. listen, that's how, that's how far yeah. that recommendation goes. Yeah. Yeah. Very worth the trek. Um, but, you know, feel free to ignore all these recommendations and you'll still yeah. have a great time. That's right. Yeah. What else do you want to say? Anything? I think that, I mean, I think that's it. I think... I like our new format of city guides. I think we're going to start doing more of these city guide things by taking the pressure off and just saying, we're just going to give you a couple highlights. Yeah. If there are places that you've heard us mention here and there that you want a city guide on or mm-hmm. New York neighborhoods or whatever, call us, email us, you know, that Leave sort of thing. Email, yeah. yeah. All right. That's the show. Bye. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at claireandericka.com. Hold up. 